our family has grown. Welcome to the world, Hannah baby. Introducing a new collection, Hannah Soft, made with Tencel. It's so breathable, with stretchy comfort for all of baby's first moments. And it's cool and gentle on their skin all year round. Entrusted Hannah quality for your most precious gift. Hannah Soft, made to last. Shop now at hannahanderson.com. So welcome to the Mocha SMC podcast. I'm Aisha. And I'm Hera. And we are the Mocha SMCs. So we're two Black single mothers by choice who are working to unpack all of the things surrounding this non-traditional path. We encourage you to go grab some coffee, some tea, or maybe some wine, and then come and chat with us. So in this episode, we're going to talk about expectation settings and managing disappointments. Um, so I know for me and a lot of my SMC friends, we're planners, um, but having had kids, you know that there's just but so much you can plan before, you know, serendipity takes over, right? And so I know um, many of us will get pregnant um, during the trying trying phase, during labor and delivery, during breastfeeding, schooling, you know, we have these ideas of what this should look like and we set our expectations accordingly. And um, you're but a planner, I, right, Aisha? Like Aisha wants to plan everything. So look, I'm like, this must have been crazy for you. That's how I almost burnt out during this pandemic because you can't plan for a pandemic, right? So what do you do when life intervenes in the things that you expected to have happen? And then how do you deal with that? Right. And so that's what we're here to talk about today. So today we have a special guest. Um, We've invited um, one of our friends, Simone, who is a teacher by profession. And she's here today to help us kind of peel back this onion and kind of sift through, you know, all of the noise that we might get about expectations and talk a little bit about her approach to parenting. Um, So we'll start with some introductions and we'll have Simone go ahead and introduce herself. All right. Hi, guys. I'm Simone. I am a mom of one, 19-month-old Kaylin, and I'm an entrepreneur and a writer and and a former doula, and as um, Aisha said, a teacher currently. So the single mom by choice path for me came uh, sort of uh, through tragedy. I was divorced, and I had a miscarriage of twins throughout my divorce, and I was wondering, you know, if I wanted to really wait for another relationship afterward in order to get pregnant again. And I decided that I didn't. And I did uh, my own IUI at home because mm-hmm. I tend to not trust doctors. Mm-hmm. And so I, um, I got pregnant uh, through donation, through sperm donation. Mm-hmm. And so here I am as a mom and trying to figure out what I am doing uh, <laughs> throughout this journey. Uh-huh. So we're going to have to come back to that. I, I did my IUI on my own because, you know, because I've, I've heard yeah, there's some a lot mom, to there. Right, right. No, they're, they're, we have some SMCs in the space that are like, yeah, I got a speculum and I got a yeah, mirror yeah. and I put on the music and I'm just like, how does that work? Like, I, okay, well, I tried. Well, it works, I'll tell you real quick. It's a, it, it involves a mirror, flexibility, a speculum, oh. uh, uh, a catheter, <laughs> uh-huh. <dark> sperm, <laughs> and um, a lot of focus and uh-huh. practice. That's what it involves. So, That's yeah, awesome. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> happy, I'm just happy it worked. And yes, you know, yeah. like parenthood is more than what I could have ever imagined. I uh-huh. love my child, and I'm just I'm grateful every day. But I also understand that 
as you said, Aisha, I'm a planner. So Mm -hmm. when things don't go, obviously I'm a planner, right? I did my own IUI. So, uh, (laughs) but when things don't go as planned, I get a little frustrated and I have to regroup and figure out what to do. So that's, I'm, I'm excited to share my experience with you guys. All right, cool. Well, thank you. Thank you for sharing um, your intro. Um, So one of the reasons um, we brought you on was to to talk about those expectations. So you and I have had some conversations kind of like, you know, behind the scenes and in chat where we talked a little bit about expectations. I talked about some of my my disappointments earlier um, in the season. Um, So let's get into it. Yeah. So what so, so, okay. So in SMC spaces, once we get pregnant, we eventually arrive at planning for the delivery. Right. And so, you know, mm-hmm. planning to try to get pregnant is like a whole thing, but then like, once you're pregnant, it's like, Oh snap. Okay. Now I need like a plan mm-hmm. for my birthing plan. Mm-hmm. Um, so Simone, what were your expectations for birth and delivery and how did you navigate this, this phase of your journey? Well, I had a, a midwife and I fully expected to have a water birth at home. Um, I dilated to about eight centimeters at home by myself, uh, without any medication or anything. And then I ended up staying at eight centimeters for 24 hours. Oh man. So, um, after that period of time, the midwife recommended that we transfer to a hospital, uh, just so that maybe I can get, um, some, some pain medication. She thought maybe my labor was stalled because I was in too much pain for such a long period of time. And so she was like, maybe if you get some pain medication, you know, you're relaxed enough, we can dilate fully and then uh, give birth vaginally. So we, we transferred, um, which was disappointing already, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and, and shocking. And I was wondering what was going on. But anyway, I got the pain medication. We turned off the epidural and then um, I dilated to 10 and then I started pushing. Uh, I pushed for two hours and. Kaylin did not budge. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was not trying to come out. He's like, it's comfortable oh, in here. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but then, you know, their heart started, uh, the heart rate started falling. And then the doctors were like, well, you know, you have an option of putting a monitor in Kaylin's head, or you have an option of getting a C-section. And so I was like, well, I'm not going to place a monitor in my newborn's head with no guarantee that that's not going to end up in a C-section since I've gone through all of this. So just go ahead and cut me. So that's how I ended up with what was what is called a home birth cesarean, um, where you start off at a, as a home birth and then you end up with a cesarean. And it happens more often than people talk about. And there's actually a good book about it. It's called Home Birth Cesarean. Um, and uh, it's a very disappointing and like gut-wrenching experience because as we talked about, you plan very carefully for this home birth um, and something goes wrong or something goes left and you don't know, I think that the, it, it becomes disappointing because there's so much what ifs, right? Like what if I had not called the midwife at a certain time or what if I had, and a lot of the what ifs involve me thinking that maybe the outcome would have been having that home birth. Um, mm-hmm. So, or what if I didn't transfer? What if I didn't take the medication? Maybe the medication is what affected the heart rate. There's a lot of questions. Um, mm-hmm. Usually people who have home births have a certain belief about the medical system as well, which also influences the trauma that goes into ending up with a whole operation mm-hmm. in order to have your baby. Yeah, so- I think it's worth noting. I think, you know, as black women, you know, we 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 come to 
dealing with the medical professionals from a different place Mm -hmm. because we, we know the statistics, right? We know that it doesn't end well for us more often than it doesn't end well for white women. So I can imagine, you know, if you, even if you plan on having a birth in the hospital, you have to get yourself into the headspace. You have to think about how you'll advocate for yourself and it's different, right. Than you would, if you were at home, Right. Um, mm-hmm. so and I wasn't I, prepared. I didn't have a bag. I didn't have, mm-hmm. you know, I didn't have, um, any type of, like you said, I wasn't in a mindset to go to right. a hospital. So, you know, just it, even, even just, uh, after the cesarean, I have stairs, you know, mm-hmm. like if I had been in a mindset to go to a hospital, then maybe I would have thought about how am I going to get back up the stairs? I mm-hmm. thought I was going to have my baby in my room oh, and just yeah. go to bed. You know, well, and as a single mother, you have to think about the fact that there's exactly. nobody, there's no partner who's going to take your stuff you. downstairs, yeah, right? Right. right. Exactly. So, so how did you navigate that when you got home? Well, I had to ask for an extra day at the hospital. I had mm-hmm. to ask to stay okay. um, because I was like, I, I'm incapable. I was not planning for this. I'm, I was not ready, right, you know, right. um, to be, to go home with the surgery. So I had to ask for an extra day. I came home. Um, I was able to call my mom. She mm-hmm. came out and she was supportive and she fixed some meals for me, but you know, that ended quickly and I had to figure out how to heal while by myself with an unexpected surgery. Right. So, you know, my, my birth was quite traumatic. Um, my birth experience was quite traumatic, but it was also really eye opening about how, uh, things don't go as planned, how resilient I am. Um, and how I would like, you know, I was a, I was a doula before that as well. So that was also part of my disappointment is that I've helped so many women um, give birth vaginally at home through Mm -hmm. beautiful experiences. And it was like, well, what's wrong with me? So Mm -hmm. I had to really go back and look at myself and be like, you know, nothing is wrong with you. You just had a baby. And, you know, so, yeah. So how did how did you then unpack the disappointment? Right. Okay. so you've got this this perfect little being with you. Mm -hmm. Your your body is starting to physically heal. How did Mm -hmm. you emotionally um, start to 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 deal with the disappointment, possibly heal from the disappointment? What was going through your head at that time? Well, I mean, I reached out to the group, I think, within the first couple of weeks that I had the baby. I was like, is this what this is about? Because mm-hmm. I, I'm I'm at home, I'm stinky. I have breast milk on me. My my wounds hurt. <laughs> oh, you know, uh-huh. I'm by myself. Yeah. I'm I'm disappointed in my my birth. I was like, is this what this is about? Like, this is horrible. I was like, you know, yeah. parenthood. If this is parenthood, I made a mistake. No, um, no. but that's how yeah. I felt. You yeah. know, that's how yeah. I felt at the time. So I think how I dealt with it was just being honest. Honestly, like I, I yeah. being honest and not trying to make myself feel anything other than what I was feeling was the most healing thing for me. I accept myself fully for where I was at the time. Uh And as I healed from every step, I also found community. You know, like I said, I found community where people had home birth cesareans Uh because it's not something people talk about. People talk about home births and they have this home birth and it's a beautiful thing and that's wonderful. But even as a doula, I didn't know this was a thing. Like I did not know. I knew that being transferred was a possibility, but not a cesarean. No, it's so great that, you know, first of all, thank you so much for sharing your story. I think so many women are going to have a better understanding of of what they need to do to prepare, right? For right. one, just being mm-hmm. like, okay, well, I want this, but it may not work out that it, way. So yeah, I have it's to totally possible you can end up on a, a table. Yeah. And then the and, second part of that is also like it's 
how you feel after the birth it's really important for you to find spaces where you can be authentic about how you're actually mm -hmm. feeling without feeling mm -hmm. like the community is going to shame you. Mm -hmm. um, and I will say for me, I went through a pretty bad depression after my youngest mm -hmm. and I didn't know, I mean, I knew like postpartum depression was a thing, but I really couldn't, I couldn't name how I was feeling. You know, right. I just sort of felt like I'm not myself, you know, my body is feeling weird and I just felt emotionally wrong. <laughs> Right. right. And it's through talking to community and being honest about how you're feeling that, you know, people will be like, Hey, have you gone to a doctor? Like that's right. probably something you need to, you need to like get checked. And so I did end up going on meds temporarily afterwards to deal with the depression issue. Mm -hmm. so, um, yeah. Yeah. I think we need to really start having more, more honest conversations about, you know, the pregnancy, labor and delivery and postpartum period, because I think just being able to name um, what you're experiencing, um, like a cesarean home birth, right? Or, yeah, birth you know, cesarean. Mm -hmm. a home birth cesarean, you know, being able to just name it is like huge. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, when I found out there was other people who had that experience and named it, it, it mm -hmm. took away a lot of that shame. Yeah. I felt ashamed, you know, as like I said, as a doula, I was supposed to have this beautiful birth experience. Like what happened? And I felt like it was it must have been me. But no, it wasn't me. It was a lot of, you know, it was things. Things happen. And birth is one of those experiences where you're really in the middle, you know, mm -hmm. of life and death. And mm -hmm. and anything can go wrong and everything can go right. So. Oh. I'm not one of those people who say, at least I have a healthy baby though. I think that right. honoring your experience yeah. through birth and how hard it was and how difficult it was for you is part of um, honoring yourself, you know? Yeah. Well, yeah. I will say um, I was excited um, to go into my second pregnancy and none of it went as planned. I never want to be pregnant again um, after <laughs> my experience because, you know, I- um, I'm snapping I, over here, plus one. <laughs> I will tell people like my, my entire second pregnancy was a shit show from the mm -hmm. beginning. Um, I think because I went into it, having had a couple of miscarriages, my uh -huh. body was already in disarray. And mm -hmm. so getting pregnant the second time they, and getting to a certain point, we were already monitoring me for um, gestational diabetes because of the disruption to my body to begin with from the miscarriages. Mm -hmm. I was already, I had eased into a pre-diabetic state, which I was not aware of, right, mm -hmm. until I got to a clinic that was doing really thorough testing. And one of the testing was um, the um, A1C. And so then I, my OB and I discussed, and we knew that if I got pregnant, they would immediately start monitoring me for um, pre-gestational um, diabetes to make sure I didn't tip into. So my entire pregnancy, like with my first pregnancy, I got to eat French fries and um, and shakes every time when I had my um, OB appointment. With this pregnancy, there was none of that. So <laughs> I started off, you know, on medication. I started off having to monitor. I started right. off on a gestational diabetes diet. And so and the, for the most part of my pregnancy, I was only having to monitor my um, blood glucose levels. And then because my overnight um um, blood sugar levels were the ones that were causing the problem. I had to take insulin at night. Um, mm. But I had to like fax over like my blood glucose readings for most of my pregnancy. Um, but I was able to deal with that, right? I mm. was able to eat food. It wasn't, you know, it was healthy food. It wasn't, 
you know, the most exciting, whatever experience. But then right around 32 weeks, 34 weeks, they started worrying about the baby size. And so they were like, okay, you know, nothing to get alarmed about, but come back at the next visit. If there's something, we'll talk about it. So already I say that, right. They're like, don't worry, but, but you go home and you Google, right. You go home and you Google. Um, so anyway, so they, they were like, the baby had slipped further, um, in terms of her size. And so they were like, you know, you need to go to the maternal fetal specialist. So I ended up there. The person who gave me the news had absolutely no bedside manner. They couldn't figure out what was going on. They suspected it was a placental issue. Um, but this is the part where I nearly lost it because now I'm about 36 weeks. I've got like, you know, uh, four more weeks ago. And they're like, okay, so you, in order to combat gestational diabetes, you have to work out. So I worked out during my pregnancy. They told me baby needs the calories. So you can't do anything extra. You need to go on modified bed rest. You need to conserve calories. So you need to stop working out. And so I was just like, so I stopped working out. And, but remember I have gestational diabetes. So they're like, add calories, but it had to be specific calories. So they're like, can't eat sugar. So can't add carbs. So I had to eat a whole lot of protein and vegetables just to increase my calorie take. I had to take, drink a protein shake, eat this, don't eat that, thread this little tiny needle. And then, you know, I was done. And then I had slipped into gestational diabetes. So added to that, I also had to do insulin, you know, during the day. I was done by the time it was time to deliver. Then I get to the hospital, add insult to injury. They were rationing my popsicles because they had to, my blood sugar had to stay in range. And so they would give me half a popsicle and I'm hungry, you know, I'm hungry. So they give me half a popsicle and they're like, oh, if your blood level um, comes down, we'll come back in an hour. We'll take it. We'll give you the other half a popsicle. Like I was hungry. So anyway, you know, so seeing that little face, you know, at the end of it, and I'm like, well, what's up with the placenta? Oh, we can't figure it out. So my entire pregnancy was just a shit show. I was done. All the things that my body went through, I was done. Done. Yeah, I um, never want to have more biological babies. I also had a just, I, I think as your body gets older, it also becomes harder. And I think what women should understand is that the media makes it seem like, you know, you just you have this beautiful pregnancy and everyone glows and like, it's amazing. And, you know, it, it may not feel that way. It might be terrible. Um, and that doesn't mean you don't love your kids. It just means that it was tough. So, so let's talk about boobs and breastfeeding. <laughs> um, I know lots of us have expectations. And again, a lot of us have plans, you know, whether we will or not, how long, um, And do those expectations change when we consider black women breastfeeding? So I will say for me, my son was what I call a boob diva and he would not take anything but the boob. So even if I wanted to supplement and it was stressful for me because I wasn't producing that much. And so it was like, um, you know, it was, it was a lot of drama, but I, I stuck it out, right. I kept going, uh, but I, I had, and I stuck it out for my first two, but then with my youngest, you know, I was having all kinds of problems. And then at six months, I was also working at a company that was not very supportive of pumping and my entire breastfeeding journey. So it essentially, I was like, you know, pumping in bathroom stalls uh, and in 
bathrooms on airplanes and all kinds of places that you just would never want to pull out a breast pump. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and, and I think because I was pumping at such odd, strange times, it was also impacting my supply, which was not good. And right around six months, I basically had to like cut bait. And I was like, this is just not working. I was frustrated. Baby was frustrated. And so while I continued breastfeeding at night, you know, we had just transitioned during the day and I felt a lot of mom guilt about it. Cause I was like, you know, I should be breastfeeding until at least 12 months. Um, and so while I will say, I think it's an incredible experience to be able to breastfeed. I hope everyone, every mom gets that experience. Um, I do encourage mothers to stop feeling the shame if their bodies aren't behaving the way that they expect them to. Um, Simone, what are your thoughts on this? Let's talk about breastfeeding. How did things go for you? And what do well, you- I think my thoughts are a little complicated. So um, I guess as a doula, I would say I see, I've seen a lot of pregnant women, um, now mothers who gave birth, not get the support that they needed to build that supply. And as you said, mm-hmm. talked about, Avian, in your story, Hera, a lot of the the difficult that you had wasn't really your body. It was the support, mm-hmm. right? right? So if you had a better pumping situation, if yeah. you had more time to pump, if you had... Yeah. Do you think it, Matt, like, do you think race comes into play when it comes to the support yeah. you get, even of from course. like the hospital? I think, I, think it, I think it comes into play with the support you get from the hospital, with your family, um, the support you get. I mean, I want to say that again, the support you get with your family, the support you get with your family. It's the support you get with your family. Because even as single moms, we need, I mean, nobody, and we're going to talk about this later, biological um, norms, right? Developmental Mm -hmm. norms and development for for even ourselves. No woman is designed to give birth alone. Mm -hmm. We're not designed to just be by ourselves after it, you know? So we're designed to, I mean, if we were, um, then we would like chew our own placentas off and, and, you know, throw away, like, some people talk about that. Well, I mean, I was ready to eat mine, but then, but what I'm saying is that if we were, we'd be doing all this alone. Uh-huh. We're designed to, to give birth within community. So mm-hmm. when we're alone and we're dealing with the stress of breastfeeding, um, and it is, it can be stressful when we don't take time to take care of ourselves, then we end up with infections. We end up with clogged ducts. We end up with, and that's our body just telling us slow down. This is not the time to do this. So that's one thought. The other thought is that, you know, um, breastfeeding for me, because I had so much grief with my, my pregnancy and my birth experience, breastfeeding for me was part of my healing. Mm -hmm. Um, So it was, it was the one thing that I knew that I could do. Um, I knew that nobody else had control over this journey, but me, you know, whereas with birth, you know, the doctors came in and, you know, the birth didn't go the way I planned. Breastfeeding was solely between my child and I, there's not one outside force that could change that. Mm-hmm. So, That's such a good point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I felt very much in control of that experience. And even though I had difficulty, like within the first week, uh, first of all, Kaylin didn't latch immediately because of the cesarean. Um, they came out hungry, but I was not ready at the time. They were not ready at the time. But because I had my doula experience, I and this is something that I want people to know, that you can hand express, please do not express at the hospital with a breast pump 
which was given to me, that is not the right thing to do right after you have a baby. Please hand express your colostrum into a spoon and put it into your newborn's mouth until they latch. Colostrum, can you, can you no. give us a little bit more background on like what could go wrong if you use a pump? Um. Oh. Yeah, because they they gave they, they gave me a pump. Yeah, they try to give my, you a pump right first. away. Uh-huh. Um, well, no, 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 they didn't do it right away. But I'll go into that. Go, go, go. Tell so, them. what could uh-huh. go wrong? You could, uh, first of all, it's going to hurt. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's you're going to have pain. You're, you're going. Your breasts are not designed for a strong latch at that yeah. time. Yeah, so it, it needs to work up, right? Mm-hmm. Right, it's yeah. yeah. like this little tiny little. Yeah, this right. little tiny mouth that's supposed right. to be on your breast, not this, this like right. toddler latch that's like uh-huh. sucking right. the life out of you. Well, and so that and that normal. could be a turnoff to women too, uh-huh. right? They're like, oh, this hurts. Off. Like I can't oh, do yeah. this, right? Yeah, I, I, I know a lot of women who stopped because of the pain. It was just like it was too painful. Yeah, that's too much pain. So that's number one. Number two is that you're gonna overproduce. So, mm, and you're yeah. also, you're also going to, cause your body is saying, oh, well, I guess your baby needs that other milk, you know, like for the <laughs> maybe first, you have we, two, <laughs> maybe you have five. Yeah. No, we because- actually- we actually should we actually should talk about that whole expectation of how much milk to produce because oh, yeah. you will see in the spaces where there's like oh I produce eight ounces of milk for like a a, a three day old like, yeah no that's not like, that's not yeah, normal yeah, yeah. you're gonna yeah. hurt yourself so yeah. I mean as like I said as a doula this is stuff that I was helping people with and so mm-hmm. I'm grateful that I had this knowledge because at the hospital which wasn't part of my plan remember at the mm-hmm. hospital they were pushing that on me lactation mm-hmm. consultants were mm-hmm. giving me yeah. pumps mm-hmm. and that is a big problem and yes that has something to do with me being black mm-hmm. yes and it was and lactation yeah. consultants were coming to my room and being like well um and doctors were coming to my room being like oh well, we're concerned about the baby eating we're concerned about the baby we see that you're haven't latched yet and I'm like you need to back up and give me space right. and time so yep. I think I think just just the one thing that I was prepared with was knowledge, um, which served me and served my child because I wasn't trying to supplement. I knew that my body was enough. I know that colostrum is milk. You don't have to wait for your milk to come in. Your milk mm-hmm. is in. This is the right. most. Yeah. Colostrum and it's probably not going to come in in the hospital. That's how much they kids. need for their little tummy. And colostrum mm-hmm. is literally gold. Like mm-hmm. you cannot get any better than colostrum. Seriously, yeah. like the, the the nutritional like value of colostrum you can't even express. It is incredible. So that's something that you don't want to just throw away. You don't want to just waste it. You hand express that thing into a spoon and you put it right into your newborn's mouth <laughs> until you can latch them on and you can get to a lactation consultant that can actually help you if you're having trouble. That's my recommendation. And that's what I did. And so now we're 19 months in and I'm not ready to stop and neither is Kayla. So oh, you I got will, a boob diva on your hands too, huh? <laughs> yeah. I will I will share uh, my story a little bit. Like, okay, so I had a I had a, a funny story. Um, but I did um nurse with both of my kids. Um, with my with my and I supplemented in the early stages with both of the girls. Um, and for interesting reasons, like with with my um my first daughter, I was, you know, inexperienced and I was inpatient. And so she was nursing, you know, and then, you know, when I was handing her to family members, give them a bottle, like at that point in, in my motherhood journey, it didn't really matter. Like, you know, we, we nursed, she drank from a bottle, she had formula. We just kind of got through that whole first year, but I also knew that I wanted to try for a second, um, 
I, w- I wanted to try for a second. So I knew that I wanted to to wean her sooner rather than later because I wanted to try when she got to be a, uh, a year old and I wanted my body to kind of rebalance and go back. So that was my experience with my first. With my second, knowing that it was like the end of my journey, I was done having kids. I was just like, we're going to do this. Um, and so now remember I told you my, my, um, my second was five pounds, 12 ounces. So she was relatively small, but I was like, we're going to nurse. So nurse her a little bit, but before, because she was small and before she could go home, she had to pass her first test ever, which was the car seat test. So because they had to make sure that she can maintain her bodily vitals in the car seat. So I'm nursing, trying to nurse. And I know that she's hungry, but she's, you know, getting colostrum, whatever. So they're like, okay, we need to, I'm like, I'm ready to go home. They're like, we need to test her. So they take her. They're like, she has to be fed before she can test. So I'm like, and so Mm -hmm. then send her away. I knew she was going to come back. So they came back. They was like, no, she's crying. She won't stay. You you have to, you have to feed her. And I was like, I just want to take my baby and go home. I was like, give me the formula. Give me the formula. Bring it here. Gave her the formula. She passed her test. We went home. Now I will say this. Um, so we are just about um, at the tail end of our breastfeeding journey. So she's about 20, 21 months. Um, I will tell anybody who is planning on breastfeeding to one, give yourself some grace and space because it will take time um, from both of my pregnancies. I'd say it took me about six to eight weeks to kind of get a um, a routine established to kind of get the milk kind of flowing when we wanted it to flow at however many times the babies will feed a day. Um, but I think some moms begin the breastfeeding journey with not realistic expectations that, you know, one, you, you, if you stick with it, you will produce enough, you need to drink enough water, you know, and then kind of get that journey going, but give yourself some great some space and be patient with yourself. But I do have a question for you, um, Simone, pulling on your experience from being a doula, I am ready to start weaning. And from in all of the um, SNC spaces that I've been in where people have um, breastfed up to this point, um, the approach is that you you don't deny, you don't say no, but you don't offer. And I forget what that's called. But I wanted to ask you, because we did talk a little bit about this um, when my daughter, um, when I first decided I wanted to start dating and I wanted to wean. Um, you had mentioned something about gentle um, weaning. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? So for someone who is ready to to um, end the breastfeeding journey, um, how how what's the best way to kind of go about that? Well, I'm, I'm going to say something you don't want to hear, Aisha. <laughs> I know, I way, know. <laughs> the best way to go about weaning is to let the child wean by themselves. Oh. Um, then you won't have a problem weaning at all. Mm-hmm. So I think that that's, that's honestly the best way to do it. Uh, that's not gentle weaning. That's just natural weaning. Um, there is a time where children are done and then they'll be done. But if you can't wait for that time for whatever reason, then I would recommend what you just talked about, which is don't deny, um, don't offer, make sure you cover up, give lots of cuddles. I would say try to save the night feeding uh, fight for the end or in mm-hmm. the beginning, because that's going to be the hardest one. Yeah, that's where we're at. Um, yeah. That's going to be the most difficult thing for you to end. Um, mm-hmm. But there are also so many benefits to breastfeeding. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so a toddler, because it, especially that's about where you are, right? Where I am. She bites. <laughs> the teeth, though. She right? bites. Yeah, but 
you you also have a magic I call it the my magic wand where uh-huh. you just wave it over the baby and all the tantrums stop. You wave oh, it over. Yes, yes, there is. I don't know. My ter- my toddler is a straight up terrorist. I will say though, like <laughs> they the the one thing that always gave me some peace when I was breastfeeding is the benefits um to their immune system, right? Mm-hmm. So like if I had a cold or something right. like and and my body was fighting it off, you know, it she didn't suffer as much as a result because she was getting some of my immune system and my antibodies from that. So in a time of a pandemic, right? Right. Like we're all super worried and concerned about that. Right. So if there's a way for us to perhaps, you know, extend that benefit a little bit longer, that said, I still don't know if that would work with my toddler because she is extra. Yeah, I, um, I, I, it works perfectly with mine. Mine, mine is, is very, is very much of a boo baby. Mm-hmm. And and we'll stop in the middle of a pan in middle of a tantrum and say like milk milk and get super excited. Oh, that's about awesome. it. So mm-hmm. I mean that's I'm I'm gonna keep going. But if if you want to stop, I would say do it the easiest way possible and have conversations with your child. Mm-hmm. Um, be kind and mm-hmm. remember that developmentally this is not normal for them. Mm-hmm. That you're 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 forcing them to do something that developmentally is against what they want to do, what they're what they're designed to do, really. Mm-hmm. Um, so, part of the other motivating factor is that Mama is looking to get out to date again, uh-huh. and so and one of my things is I want to be maybe like a few months done past weaning, which gets me into the summertime. But I'm like, well milk still be there. Yeah. Milk, you know, some people stop and, and you, this is another reason for you not to wean Aisha, uh-huh. because some people stop breastfeeding and they still produce milk years later. Mm-hmm. So milk could still be there even after you wean. You just don't know. <laughs> She's like, that no! is not what I wanted to hear. No! It's not what I wanted <laughs> to hear, but it could be, it could happen. <laughs> and, it, and it's totally normal if it does. So, so, I mean, so- so if you so if you if you let the baby wean, then does the milk go away? I would say it dries up a lot easier. Yeah, because number one, they're gradually weaning. It's not uh-huh. an all of a sudden thing, and you're uh-huh. and it's it's not something that you're designing. It's something uh-huh. that they they've chosen to do. And some babies wean at thirteen months. Uh-huh. Other babies wean at four. You don't know. Uh-huh. Um, I always look at it like 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 uh, Hera said. You know, if we're in a pandemic, the last thing I want to do is give my child um, a, a disadvantage to healing. So, so thank you for, for indulging my embarrassment. I'm blushing. Um, <laughs> we, we have also had other conversations about you. You talk about where um, the, the babies are developmentally and her and I, we talk quite a bit about where the kids are developmentally d- due to this pandemic. And so I think one of the other expectations I'd like to talk about are academic expectations, right? Some yeah. of the things that we are expecting of our kids. Mm-hmm. Um, I know this week has been particularly hard and challenging for me where I've had to have a mommy get in the corner moment and figure this out. Mm-hmm. Um, because I was like, you know, I'm you not, put yourself in the corner, Aisha. I know, I know. Because <laughs> Look, my kids, they run the house. I don't know so. how anybody puts kids in the corner and expects them to stay there. My toddler would be like, oh, this is, this is I know it's just easier for me to go in a corner and figure it out. But, um, but I, but, you know, I've been really struggling with, um, the whole pandemic schooling and the expectations that I have, um, that I have and um, externally have, because I think that I'm a bit more balanced and knowing that the pandemic has 
inserted itself into where my daughter would be, you know, academically. And I've been trying to be kind of easy about that. But then I get the voices in my ear from outside, like, you know, okay, so what is she doing? What are you doing? What could we be doing better to help? And all those little voices. And so I've had conversations with you about, you know, having appropriate developmental expectations for the kids. So can you talk about that a little bit? Well, I'm also a teacher, right? So I think mm-hmm. um, I learned about appropriate developmental expectations through teaching. I, I came into teaching feeling like everybody should know what I'm talking about. The kids should know what to do. I should be in charge and I'm the adult and you're the child and that type of attitude. And that just didn't work. Um, so I started doing a lot of research on what was developmentally normal. And I, as a parent now, I also um, am a firm believer that capitalism pushes us because uh, we all just talked about different capitalistic things, right? We talked, Harry, you talked about your job. Aisha, you talked about um, even even dating, like the expectations that we have for, for ourselves as women and mm-hmm. within capitalism too, um, has pushes, pushes us into unrealistic expectations for our children. And we mm-hmm. end up passing on a lot of that stress to our kids. We end up giving them unrealistic expectations for them to grow up and be independent, to sleep mm-hmm. alone, to eat alone, to be alone, to be independent after newborn. Like, why is this baby all on me? Like, I need you to back up. But developmentally, that's not normal. Like children are the, well, human children are one of the most dependent animals on the planet for the longest. And I think that we need to, um, as black women, I really believe that we need to to accept that Mm -hmm. because we're doing a disservice to our children. I believe at least by, by creating unrealistic expectations to where they cannot reach, you know, like it is, we expect our children to just, um, to do things they can't do. And it's harmful. I think you make a good point about just, you know, meeting them where they are developmentally. And I think a lot about the fact that oftentimes in our community, our kids are pushed harder to Mm -hmm. act older Mm -hmm. and things like that. So I think it's a, it's a great point to kind of make sure at home that we're balancing that and understand that they may get a lot of pressures from society to act inappropriately for their age, given, you know, all of the unfortunate, um, you know, negative racial, racial stereotypes. And so just being very mindful, I know Aisha and I talk a lot about you know, positive affirmations of blackness in our house. Right. Mm -hmm. But I think another, another point there that Simone made is really just making sure that we're also balancing, uh, making sure our kids are getting what they need developmentally at home because society may not be so kind. Right. And that's the most important thing. I think, especially for gender, like I'm writing a book right now about um, it's called how to raise boys that don't break. Mm -hmm. And it's about fragility. Um, fragile masculinity and how to raise children who are resistant to it, mm-hmm. how to raise um, boys, because, uh, we, you know, often gender has a lot to do with that, too, what the expectations are um, for, for our children. So I, I think it's, it's definitely a topic I want to continue to talk about. And I think that black women need to be talking about this as mothers, um, about how do we raise children who are developmentally safe, normal and that we 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 know that they love that we they know that we love them unconditionally so when Uh, your book comes out you will have to make sure you circle back with us about this so that we can share it to everyone it sounds amazing um and i definitely you know we can have you also come back and and tell us about it in in person as well i'll be excited too thank you 
Well, Simone, thank you for um, accepting our invitation to come and talk about your experience as an SMC. Um, as Harris said, uh, when your book comes out, come back and talk with us. Um, thank you for sharing your insights with our pod. Uh, to our pod, thank you for um, spending um, this time of your day to just come and just listen in on our girlfriend conversation. Um, so again, we appreciate you. Um, if you like what you heard today, please share us on your social media. Tell your grandma, your mom, your friends, your coworkers um, about our show. Um, follow us on Twitter at Mocha SMC. Like our Facebook. Facebook page, uh, Mocha SMC podcast, visit our website, www.mochasmc.com. And join us next time as we continue to discuss this often hilarious journey of being a single, uh, a Black single SMC. And until next time, we are the Mocha SMCs. Bye now. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Thank you for having me.